0: And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known, saying, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Christ City. How are you all doing? Good. Doing good this morning. Good to see all of you. Um, again, my name's Brandt. If you don't know me, and it's my joy to uh, preach this morning for you from the text that Megan just read. Um, but before we do that, I'd love to pray for you and for us. So, if you'd bow your heads with me, uh, let's go before the Lord. Father, we um, Lord, we are we're needy. <laughs> needy people. Father, you created us um, to be in relationship with you. And Lord, you are the sort of God that loves your creation. You love us. God, I pray that you would work by the power of your Holy Spirit to cause us to see and to believe, not just intellectually, but to believe as we see and come into relationship with you. Um, by your Holy Spirit this morning. But that we would respond to the good news of Jesus' birth. That we would respond to it with faith, with joy, with obedience, and with worship. Lord, help us to come and adore you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christmas is really an announcement. Christmas is, if you think about it, it's God's announcement of good news. And it's God's announcement of good news to people who are just ordinary, regular people like us. So I don't know what you came in this morning with and what you're bringing with you here into this space. Whether you are full of joy and, and hope this morning, whether you are in a place uh, of suffering or struggling with the season, as you're reminded of all the things and all, all the burdens that, that are in your life, maybe especially at Christmas time. But I want you to know that as you come in here and as we talk about Christmas, talk about Jesus, that this is an announcement of good news for you. Christmas is an announcement of good news. And the question is, how will we respond to God's offer of salvation? How will we respond to the good news that that God is showing us by sending Jesus Christ to come to earth to be born? to live, to suffer, to die for our salvation. How will we respond to him? Will we turn to him in this season with renewed hope, with renewed joy as we put our trust and our hope in Jesus? Or will we turn away from him? Will we include Jesus with all of that Christmas clutter that we're only too happy to be rid of at the end of the month? You know, Boxing Day, pack him up, put him away with our ornaments and then think about him again next year. How will we respond to Jesus. Well, in our Advent series this year, we have been looking at Luke chapter 2, an Advent series that, uh, that is four weeks long. The, 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 remembering, the remembering of Jesus' first arrival uh, at the first Christmas, but also this period where we are reminded that we are longing and hoping for his second coming. That we live now between the two Advents of Christ. And, and the traditional four Sunday period before Christmas, the church remembers this and celebrates this. And in this four Sunday period, we've looked already last week, the first Sunday of Advent, at the way that Jesus was born. That God himself became incarnate. That means that God became human in the person of Jesus Christ. God, who is high, became low and humble for our salvation. And then Luke, really, in the rest of chapter 2, which is the chapter that we're looking at in this Christmas season, after describing the birth of Jesus, he now goes on to describe three different responses to the birth of Jesus. So for our Advent series, we've looked at that birth, and now we're looking at these three responses. This Sunday being the first response, the response of the shepherds. And there's only two points that I want to put in front of you as we begin to consider as we look at the response of the shepherds. And it's just this. Point number one, why is Jesus' birth good news? Why is Jesus' birth good news? And we're going to see in what the angels announce to the shepherds the way that it is good for some particular reasons. And we're going to look as well, how should we respond to this good news ourselves as we look at the shepherds and the others in the narrative as they respond to this message. So I want you to jump right in with me this morning and look at our first point. Why is Jesus' birth good news? And we'll look at verses 8 to 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You see, the first reason Jesus' birth is good news that we see in the story is because of who this news is for. See, God chose to announce the birth of his son first to shepherds who are out in their fields. It's a familiar story. I think it's the kind of story that is has a certain amount of familiarity. What's that that phrase? Familiarity breeds uh, contempt. Thank you, Kim. Um, And I think that we're in danger looking at the Christmas story, particularly this one, and just thinking of manger scenes and kind of the the Christmas pictures and the crafts that we've done or that we've seen around us, and not actually sinking our teeth into why the announcement to the shepherds is really, really good news for us. So I want to do that with you this morning. The announcement of the shepherds is good news, first of all, because of who the shepherds were. Because who they were were uneducated, poor people who lived out with their flocks in the elements with the sheep. And because of that, they're kind of the people that you probably smell arriving before you saw them arrive. Does anybody here hate wet dog smell? I couldn't help but think of the wet dog smell that I hate. If you, if you want to make me upset, bring your wet dog close to me and have it shake. It's, it's fur in my presence. Um, but I think of that when I think of the shepherds. Not wet dog smell, but I smell wet sheep, and they don't smell any better, let me tell you. Living with the smell of the sheep, being, being with these sheep, being people that when they come around, maybe, maybe you'd give them a little bit of a wide berth as they were in your presence. See, shepherds weren't people that had social status. They were lowly. They were nobodies, and they were held in high esteem by no one. And God tells them, Jesus' birth is for all people. And that's significant because he tells them that Jesus' birth is for all people, beginning with them. Beginning with the lowly. And that's really striking. And I think it's especially striking when you you juxtapose and you put that in contrast and intention with the birthday of another king during the time of Jesus. Because Caesar Augustus, the very first emperor of the Roman Empire, the one who declared himself to be a god, his birthday was also celebrated during the time of Jesus. And he was praised as being this incredible king that the gods had set up and given to us to put an end to war, to do all these wonderful things. His birth was celebrated. He was supposed to be this king who brought blessing for his people. But who was Caesar's birthday for? Caesar's birthday was for Roman citizens who had status. It was for Roman citizens who had wealth in power, in political connections. It was for the people that benefited most from the sword that Caesar wielded as he brought about the Pax Romana, conquering and extending his dominion and subjugating peoples. And it worked that way because this is how Rome worked. Ancient Rome was a sort of place where the powerful advantaged themselves at the expense of the weak. And that's just how it was. And Caesar's birthday was for them. But when Jesus' birthday is announced, it's exactly the opposite. It's good news for all people, starting with the lowest, the shepherds. Because God is a God who is unlike Caesar. God is a kind of God, Christ. You need to know this this morning. The kind of God who gladly disadvantages himself. Who at great expense to himself advantages the lowly and blesses those who are broken and hurting. So, the first reason that it's good news is because of who it's for. The second reason that Jesus' birth is good news is because Jesus' birth is full of God's glory. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I want you to picture just for a moment the darkest place that you've ever been. Maybe you've been out camping somewhere or you've been out on a mountain ridge far away from light pollution. Uh, For me, I remember growing up and going to my grandfather's ranch. I love going to my grandfather's ranch. It was north of Kamloops by about an hour on gravel roads and we'd get there and it was dark. (laughs) At nighttime, you could see unbelievable things in the sky that I just couldn't see where I lived growing up. And a flashlight meant something. You didn't have a flashlight. Good luck finding the outhouse. You know, like you needed to have these things with you. Dark was dark. Before the angel came to the shepherds, it was like this. I mean, light pollution wasn't a thing because all they had was fire, fire and candlelight anyway. And they were out in the hills somewhere. And it was really and truly dark before the angel arrived. And you have to imagine, though, the night sky erupting in light as the angel comes to them, appearing with the brightness of the glory of God shining all around him. I think that begs the question for us, what is glory? What is glory, though? What are we talking about? It's not a word that we often use. We don't talk about glory in our culture very often. Well, glory in English, it means high renown. It means honor. It means magnificence or great beauty, splendor. This is what glory is in the English language. This is how we think about glory. And the word here translated glory, it means all of those things, but even more. Because of whose glory we're talking about. It's not the glory of an exalted human being. It's the glory of God himself, the creator of all, almighty God appearing. It's the glory of a God who redeems a broken world out of love. The glory of a God who creates all things, holds all things together, and in love is at work to redeem all things. But the glory of God isn't just descriptive of God's beauty and honor. No, this indescribable glory of God that we see in this text, it can be made visible. It can be seen, it can be felt and and understood by human senses. And that's what was happening here with the shepherds. And most importantly, God's glory is seen in human history at moments like this. At the key moments when God works in his compassion and in his mercy to save. When you open up the Bible and you read the stories that are in it, you see the glory of God appearing in this incredible way as God rescues his people from Egypt. As you read the Bible, you see the the glory of God being with the tabernacle, which is this tent that the people of Israel built as they moved on from Egypt and were drawn towards the promised land, led towards the promised land by God. And the glory of God was with them in that tent on that journey. And here we see far more than anything else, the glory of God as God himself takes action to save as he himself becomes human to intervene in human history for our salvation. And the glory of God, I think, is striking here in this field, not just because it was dark outside, not just because of what it means, the presence of God acting to save his people, but also because God's glory, which symbolizes the presence of God, it's been absent at this point in history from God's people for a long time. For hundreds of years They've been waiting. They've been conscious that the glory of God has not been with them. And the prophet Ezekiel, around 400 years before this, he described the glory of God departing his temple. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 11 as a a judgment against Israel for their sin and rebellion against God. Before they're sent out in exile, conquered by enemy nations, the glory of God leaves his people. And the people have been living in darkness. And here, after all this time, God's glory comes, signaling God's presence and his salvation that are coming in Jesus. But his glory doesn't come to the temple in Jerusalem where we'd expect it to come. That's the place that if you were Jewish at that time, you would think the glory of God ought to come to God's temple. But that's not where it came. No, God's glory comes to a field. See, God's return not just to save the Jewish people who worship him. God's glory has come, indicating that God has come. His presence is here in Jesus Christ to save all people, beginning with these shepherds out in the field. And through those shepherds, the news spreading far and wide as Jesus Christ is born, as he lives, as he dies, as the good news goes out. And as God's glory then fills, not the physical temple made with stones, but the temple of the church. Stop and think about that for a second. Christ said, God's glory, his presence, his worth, his character, it's seen in you. Those of you who trust in Jesus, because Jesus has come, his spirit is filling a new temple, you, his people. And what was the shepherd's reaction to all of this? Well, they were terrified. You can imagine they would be. Christ city to stand in the presence of the glory of God as a human being. It's not something that we would take in easily. Every time that it happens in the Bible, and it happens a number of times, there's a predictable response. So-and-so sees God, uh, falls on his face before God, is terrified out of their minds before God, and the angel or God or someone has to say, hey, get up, don't be afraid. Every time it's predictable. And the shepherds have that response. They're full of fear. But you know what turns their fear into joy? It's good news. See, to stand before God in his presence is terrifying unless it's accompanied by good news. In Christ's city, he has come, we see in this text, not to judge, but to bring good news and blessing as we trust in Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Fear not, the angel says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God has come not to judge and to bring destruction, but to save. God has come, out of tender mercy and compassion to save. Luke's already been telling us, Luke is the one whose gospel we're reading. Uh, Luke is a historian who traveled with some of the, the firsthand witnesses that saw these things about Jesus and who put this gospel narrative together. And in the chapter before the one that we're reading, Luke has already shown us the way that God has come, that this arrival of Jesus is about good news for people that have been waiting in the dark for a long time. In chapter 1, verse 78 to 79, we see Luke tell uh, the good news about Jesus this way. He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I want you to stop and just think for a moment. Think about that phrase, because of the tender mercy of our God. Christ, did he, the shepherds heard good news announced to them by an angel because of the tender mercy of our God. See, that word tender, it means to be moved with compassion because of somebody else's suffering. It means to be touched in your heart to have kind of that gut punch moment where where you, you you see something and you're moved by it and you, you feel the pain of that circumstance. You know, I don't know if you know this, but God sees your suffering. I think you need to hear that this morning. That God is a God who sees your suffering and who has compassion on you and your suffering. But he doesn't just have compassion. He doesn't just empathize. He acts on that compassion. That's what that word mercy is about. He doesn't just see it and feel it and, and see what's happening in humankind. He has mercy and he's moved to act because of the suffering that we are in. He's moved to act to save us. So I was thinking about, about the tender mercy of God and putting these two words together. I thought about a situation that my wife told me about um, earlier this year when she was out on a walk with our kids uh, down our street. And um, this crazy thing happened. They, they witnessed an older woman in our neighborhood fall on the sidewalk. And as they got up to her, caught up to her, she's alone. She's afraid. She's in pain. There's a lot of blood. And my wife had compassion on her. And with our kids, she stopped what she was doing to, to care for this woman. And my, my wife is also a nurse, so she was able to do something about the situation. And it moved towards this person, acted on her behalf, and tried to bind her up and assess her state, make sure she was okay, and then wait for the ambulance to arrive. And then later on, even to go and visit this woman uh, periodically with my children, to so develop a relationship with her. See, tender mercy is when you sacrifice gladly and cheerfully because you're so intent on helping someone who is hurting. I think in my mind, this is crystallized most when I see a parent with a child who's really, really, really sick. You've seen parents in those situations. And what do they do? They are willing to give up everything to act on behalf of their kid. They're Touched with compassion and they're moved to action. Gladly giving up themselves to care for their child. Christy, we need to know that Jesus' birth means that God has come in tender mercy for us. He's come in tender mercy for you. Look at verses 10 to 11. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? Well, because of this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How has God acted in mercy and his compassion? By sending a Savior. By sending Jesus Christ as our Savior. Jesus Christ who is the Lord a Savior, Christ the Lord. To be the Christ is to be the promised one, the Messiah that the Jewish people have been expecting for forever to come and to save. The Lord, in this phrase, he's Christ the Lord, isn't just saying that he's exalted a little bit. It's actually a way of saying this is Christ who is God, that Jesus is the Savior, Christ the Messiah, the promised one who is God himself, come to save us. But what does he come to save us from? He's come to save us from sin, from Satan, and from death. I want to show you that right now. So The history of the Bible is crystal clear that the suffering that you and I experience, that the evil that, that we know in this world, the hard stuff that we're going through, that it has a source and a cause. And that source and cause is the sin that is in our own hearts. And if the suffering that you experience isn't directly a result of your own sin, as we talked about last week, well, the rest of it's a result of our sin as humankind in this broken world. And the reality is that we were made in the beginning and it wasn't this way. When God created us, we were made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, we see we're made in God's image. But because we don't love God, his image within us is corrupted And broken, and we've turned inward, becoming selfish and sinful, hating hating God and hating one another. And from the beginning, from the first couple, Adam and Eve, this sin has brought death and suffering into this world. That's the problem the Bible holds out. The sin and death that is in this world, beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, all the way to today. And from the very beginning of the Bible, we're led to hope that the Messiah would come. That this promised one would come who would save us. That God would act to save us from the problem of our sin and death and suffering that is in this world because of our sin. And that's exactly what God has done through Jesus. See, God himself became one of us to make us new. To restore us into his own image. To restore the image of God that was corrupted in us. So this week, I I was thinking about this, and I was doing some reading. I was reading one of the church fathers, um, somebody who lived in the fourth century a long time ago, um, named Athanasius, and in his little book on the Incarnation, which I commend to you if you're into that sort of thing, which I realize probably a lot of you aren't. Um, But it's at your, uh, uh, you're missing out. That's what I want to say. You definitely need to read it. Um, But Athanasius, he illustrated what God has done to restore God's image in us. And I was really moved by the illustration because the illustration that Athanasius talks about is by describing a portrait. He talks about the way that when you have a portrait, right, that's become old and dirty, when it gets marred and, and kind of maybe broken and smudged, how can the artist restore the portrait? Well, he restores the portrait by having the original subject of his portrait, having him come again. And sit for the portrait so he can restore the portrait in its original image. And Christ said, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that he himself, God himself, in whose image we are made, has come and he sat for his own portrait. To redraw us in the image of Jesus. So that all that is wicked and corrupt in us could be removed. So that all that is good and glorious and who we are meant to be as God's image bearers could be restored and made new in Jesus Christ. See, he's Savior because he restores God's image in us. But he's Savior for another reason. He's Savior because he has come to grant us spiritual freedom. He's come to grant us spiritual freedom by destroying forever the power of the one who holds human beings captive in sin and death. The devil, Satan. And I know, I know it's 2021 and we're not supposed to talk about Satan. I I get that. But the Bible is clear that there's more than just a material world that we live in. That we are foolish To think that all that there is, is what we can touch and feel. There is a spiritual reality. The Bible is not afraid to talk about that. The Bible is clear that that there's a problem, that there in this sinful world, and even in our sin, there's, there's also this spiritual reality, this enemy that is at work, holding us captive in our sin. But what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came once and for all as Savior to destroy the works of the devil and set us free. Look at chapter one, sorry, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. John writes in this passage: whoever makes the practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus was born, was to destroy the works of the devil. Christ city in Jesus there is freedom from the sin that holds you captive. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know that you're broken? Do you feel the way that inside of you, there are these things that you'd like to be doing? There's a greater good you'd like to be living for, but somehow you can't do it. Do you feel trapped? Are you ashamed of the hidden desires and the hidden actions that only you see. See, Jesus Christ has come as Savior for the lost and the broken and the trapped. He's come, us to br- he's come to bring us freedom and bring us into the liberty of God so we can love him and serve him as we were created to. That's why he came. But Jesus didn't just come to renew God's image in us, He didn't just come to conquer Satan and set us free. He also came as a Savior who was born, who must die. A Savior who was born to die for us. See, in Romans 6.23, the Bible is clear that the wages of our sin is death. That against us in our sin, there is judgment. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is a Savior who has been born to die in our place, a born, to, stay, born to, to be the substitute for us in his death, so that we could be welcomed and forgiven and cleansed by God and brought into the presence of God through Jesus. See, Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. He's come to free us from the power of Satan, holding us captive in our sin. And he's come to bring us forgiveness of our sin by his death in our presence. This is good news Christ said, this is good news. The question is, how will we respond to this good news? It's a question that, that Luke wants to show us now as we look at the response of the shepherds. Look at our second point. How should we respond to the good news that Jesus Christ has come? And look at verses 15 to 16 with me. Luke writes this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. See Christ said, the shepherds, they heard the good news about Jesus and they responded to the good news of Jesus by moving towards Jesus. This is how we have to respond to good news. We have to receive that good news and then move towards the thing that that the news is good about. After all, this is what all of your social media, all of your advertisement on your phone or on your device is doing all the time. It's advertising good news to you all the time. Listening in on your conversations, right? Especially at Christmas time. To all the, the little things that you want and all the desires in your heart. And it's sending you those advertisements. It's not actually listening in. I'll, I'll tell you about that some of the time if you're interested. We just think it is because it's so good at knowing what, what we're on in our devices. But then it puts an advertisement out there and it measures our response to the good news of that advertisement by whether or not we click on that advertisement. And the only way we get the good news of the advertisement is if we click. The only way we benefit from good news is by responding to it. We can't just understand it. We can't just hear it. We have to respond to it. You know, I think some of us need to hear this this morning. Because it's so easy in our Christian lives to be frozen in apathy. right? To kind of come here to go through the motions let me just do the Christian thing, sort of, but not actually respond to the good news of Jesus by moving towards him. I think it's probably true that, that some of you are experiencing the the difficulty, the difficulty and, and the suffering that you're going through right now because you're not taking a step of faith to respond to the good news of Jesus. You're not moving towards him in faith. I want to encourage you in this season, this season in particular, where you're hearing all this good news, all the songs on the radio are full of the good news of Jesus. Respond to it. Respond to it. Take action in faith to move toward Jesus. You know, Christ City. Jesus himself talked about the good news and he talked about it in the gospel of Matthew using the image of the kingdom of heaven, just another way of talking about the salvation of God. And the way Jesus himself described this good news in his earthly ministry was that it is so valuable. This good news is so precious that it's worth giving everything up in your life in order to attain this precious treasure. I want to read you what Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. He hid it again, so nobody else would get it. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. The first response to the good news is to move toward Jesus. I want to ask you, what is it that God is asking you to do in response to this good news? Is there something he wants you to repent of, to turn away from? Is he calling you to faithfully commit to being part of the body of Christ, to worship together with us, to grow up to know Jesus as you're part of a community of faith, not just on the fringes, but moving in a little closer. Is God asking you to respond to the goodness of Jesus by, by committing to pursuing him through reading his word, by actually picking up your Bible and reading every day to get to know the God, the glorious God that you serve, that you call your savior. What is God calling you to do in response? So the shepherds responded to the good news by moving toward Jesus, but they also responded to the good news by sharing it with others. Look at verses 16 to 18. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You see, the shepherds went and they told what they'd seen and heard. I think the implication of the story is that they continued to go and to share and to tell everyone everywhere about what they'd seen and what they'd heard. So Christ City, if you know and love Jesus, what are you doing to share about him? And this season, how are you talking about Jesus? Not just to your your non-Christian friends, those who are not yet believers in Jesus, but also to those who are Christians. I think that we can do a really good job this season of just talking about Jesus together as a church family. It's easy, I think, for when the gathering finishes to kind of head out back into the lobby or to get together maybe during the week and to not talk about the goodness of God in our lives. But Christ City. I want to be the first person to put my hand up and say, I need your encouragement. I need it. I need to know the ways that God is at work in your life for good. The way that Jesus is good in your life. So I want to encourage you, encourage one another. Talk about Jesus. Talk about his goodness together as a community. I also want to encourage you to share about him farther than that. Maybe think about Reading the Christmas story through Luke, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 together. Maybe as a family, maybe begin reading it in small sections with your children this season. Just talking about the goodness of Jesus. Read a short section and say, what's one thing we can pray about? What's one thing we can thank God for? Maybe share about it with your roommates and read the story with them if they are willing. Maybe invite a neighbor over, the person across the hall or next door and say, hey, come over, have some dinner with us i just just asking what Christmas means to them. Really wide open question. See where the conversation goes. See if there might be a way for you to share about Jesus with them. So the shepherds moved towards Jesus. They shared about Jesus in response to the good news. But the most fundamental response of all is the one that we already talked about last week. And it's the best response, the most appropriate one for all of us at Christmas. It's worship. Because there's nothing more authentic and good and genuine and appropriate in our lives when we see the good news of Jesus Christ coming as Savior to broken people like us than to stand before God with adoration and with worship and thanksgiving. To make Jesus the center of everything that we're doing, not just at Christmas time, but at all time in our lives. I want to show you the way that worship is such a fundamental response in a couple of different ways in this passage. First of all, the angels worship. The angels receive the good news and they worship. They do that by declaring God's greatness and delighting in him. Look at verses 13 to 14. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. They give praise to God. They declare the goodness of God in response to the good news. Mary worships too. She worships by treasuring up in her heart all that she's seeing and hearing and being taught about God, about Jesus Christ and this good news. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I wonder if it would be appropriate for you this season to take some time in silence with God, to worship him by treasuring up in your heart what he's doing through Jesus the Savior. Pray to him, give thanks to him, rejoice in him, meditate. I mean, just think and pray and, and turn it over in your mind, the goodness of God coming to us through Jesus the Savior. And the shepherds, of course, they worship too. They worshiped as they joyfully and exuberantly run to Jesus. Look at verse 16. They went with haste. Can picture them tripping over themselves down the hill on the way out and into Bethlehem. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And they worshiped too as they went back to the field, glorifying and praising God. Look at Luke 2 verse 20. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Christity, I want to invite you, whether you're a guest here this morning, it's your first time coming and, and hearing about Jesus, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, I want to invite you to respond to this good news by worshiping. Won't you take time giving thanks to God? When we start singing again in a moment, I want you to raise your voices and sing and shout and rejoice. It's not a performance that we're part of on a Sunday. It's our participation in worship as we respond to the good news by raising our voices and praising God together. Let me encourage you to worship the Lord. And as we conclude, I want to show you just a little bit more of Mary's worship. You see, in Luke chapters, chapter one, verse 49 to 55, Luke records Mary's words after she hears the good news that she's going to be the, the mother of Jesus. And she says this, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Christ with Mary, we can say those words too as we trust in Jesus. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Are you hungry this morning? He has filled the hungry with good things. Come to you, come to him all who are hungry, all who are thirsty. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, his mercy is for those who fear him. Christ, God's mercy is available to all. We see that at Christmas time. His mercy is available to all, but it's only the humble who fear him who hunger for him, who will ultimately respond to his news with trusting and obedient faith. You know, in the story that Luke shows that Jesus was rejected by many, many people, but he was received by the humble shepherds. So I want to ask this morning, will you receive Jesus as well? Will you receive him in humility, in trust, and in faith? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word. That we can stand as we read it this morning with Christians for two millennia who've been rejoicing at your goodness to them through Jesus. We just want to thank you. And Lord, we ask would you cause your word to go out and bear fruit in our hearts just as you promised that it would. Lord, that we would grow up into maturity in Christ in response to to your good news, if we are already Christians, Lord. And for those of us that have not yet put our faith in Jesus, would you use this word, use your word to draw them to Jesus, to show them your goodness, to breathe new life in them. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.